2: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and
1: welcome to New Books in Anthropology, a channel on the New Books Network. I'm Reagan Gillum, a host on the channel, and today I'm talking to Dr. Yana Steinova, who is the author of the book, Sonorous Worlds, Musical Enchantment in Venezuela, published by the University of Michigan Press. Dr. Steinova, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for coming to talk about your book. Um, And so your book is an ethnography of El Sistema, which is the largest, uh, which is a large scale classical music education program in Venezuela. So how did you come to write this book? And can you tell us about yourself, your background and what sparked your interest in classical music in Venezuela?
0: Um thank you for this question. Um so uh, the roots of my inspiration for writing this book uh, lie in my uh, childhood. I was born in uh, Bulgaria on the eve of the re- revolutions that brought about the communist uh, the fall of communism uh, in Eastern Europe. And one of my earliest memories of, is of um standing on the balcony of my childhood home and uh, looking over uh, the, uh, the usually busy boulevard that was uh, 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 suddenly uh, overflowing with uh, thousands of people uh, protesting uh, the communist uh, regime. And what uh, struck me about these protests was the ar- artistic uh, uh, practice uh, that um, that that define them in some way. Um, so I, I remember uh, we people pushing a, a piano down the street, and somebody playing uh, the music, the the song "Winds of Change" by the Scorpions, um, and and this uh, early uh, childhood memory of uh, of a revolution, of rebellion against a, a repressive. Uh, government uh, and my own uh, life that was marked uh, by uh, this political uh, transition uh, was uh, was one of uh, the the points uh, of inspiration for for uh, doing field work uh, in venezuela uh, a country that also uh, defined itself uh, as socialist um, i also uh, played uh, the piano uh, uh, throughout my childhood and um, and, and to this day, um, and um, the, the hour of playing music uh, every day structured my my life. Um, it it uh, uh, transformed how uh, I, I experienced uh, my my everyday. Uh, and when I was eleven, I also started playing uh, the flute. So music was classical music was an important uh, part of my life. And though I did not become a professional musician, uh, my my fascination and passion for uh, music uh, remained. Um, And uh, so then uh, years later, uh, when I uh, was a college student uh, at Mount Holyoke, and I uh, uh, did study abroad uh, in Chile, uh, I became interested in Um, the the place of poetry uh, during the Chilean dictatorship and in the transition uh, to democracy. Uh, In Chile, I found uh, another uh, big political transition from the Pinochet dictatorship uh, to uh, democracy uh, in the country that took place uh, roughly around the same time uh, that uh, the the big political transition in Bulgaria uh, took place. So I met people uh, of my own generation whose lives were similarly marked uh, by uh, by political uh, change, um, and as I was uh, doing research on, uh, on on poetry, I, I came to uh, see how the, the writing and sharing of poems uh, allowed people to form communities of uh, solidarity and and um, uh, and shared support uh, in a time of brutal censorship uh, and and violence. Um, and uh, at the time, I was not as interested in doing a, a literary analysis of, of the poems, uh, but rather to talk uh, to people, uh, uh, both the poets who wrote the poems, but also the people uh, for whom these poems were important. Uh, so without realizing it at the time, I was already doing uh, anthropological uh, research through my interviews. Um, and I, uh, uh, I then uh, began a graduate school in anthropology, uh, still uh, thinking about uh, doing research with, Venezuela, uh, with Chilean uh, poets uh, but in my first year of the graduate program I heard about this classical music program um, in, in uh, Venezuela called El Sistema uh, which brings uh, music to uh, young people on the urban uh, margins um, and I was Im- immediately uh, fascinated uh, by by this idea uh, challenging, uh, the idea of challenging the elitist status of, of classical music uh, by uh, but through the practice uh, uh, at the urban margins uh, and and my interest in artistic uh, practice and political uh, change in Latin America uh, which was uh, born in Chile uh, became transposed uh, to to Venezuela and so I was overcome by an uh, un- uncharacteristic for me certainty and I uh, got on a plane. Uh, to Venezuela um, to to study this uh, music program, which became the uh, object of my dissertation research and uh, subsequently the book that I'm
1: talking about today. That's so interesting. I love that, how you described it as this uncharacteristic certainty and um, and you got on the plane and, and off you went. Um, that's so, that's that's really yeah. <laughs> moving. Um, and so I guess then the next question, I guess, is how can you orient us to the uh, the classical education program that you just talked about um, El Sistema in Venezuela, and you just said it brings classical music to youth on the on the urban margins. And so, you, can you tell us about that? What what is it? Um, how does it work? How is it organized? And and in the book, you focus really kind of on the musicians of El Sistema. And so, I wondered how you came to that idea to focus on sort of just the musicians and not necessarily as sort of a, an ethnography of El Sistema as a larger organization?
0: Uh, yes, thanks for this question. El Sistema was, uh, uh, is a Venezuelan initiative that brings uh, free classical music and instruments uh, to uh, what is now uh, over a million young people all over the country. Um, and it was uh, uh, formed in 1975 uh, by... Uh, uh, economist and musician, Jose Antonio uh, Abreu, uh, a a prominent political figure in in Venezuelan uh, life at the time. Um, He had this vision uh, for uh, bringing uh, classical music to a wider uh, audience uh, and uh, uh, found strategic uh, ways of of gaining state support uh, from the oil-rich Venezuelan state uh, to support uh, his vision. Uh, What... um, uh, characterizes El system is that it's survived seven different changes in, in government uh, from 1975 to, to this very day uh, and uh, and these uh, governments have been of uh, uh, radically uh, opposing political convictions uh, which uh, gives uh, the or demonstrates the institution's uh, resilience uh, in the face of uh, political uh, change. Um, What characterizes the practice of uh, music within El Sistema is that it is uh, almost exclusively uh, collective, which uh, is is, um, unusual for classical music uh, practice. Uh, So almost all of the classes... uh, uh, t- take place uh, uh, in groups. Uh, and while the teacher is the one uh, uh, doing most of the pedagogical work, uh, it is also a, a, a tradition within El Sistema that each student, uh, slightly more advanced student, teaches the younger uh, beginning students uh, how to uh, how to play uh, an instrument. Um, so there is a kind of a group uh, work at several levels uh, taking place, uh, uh Rehearsals are almost exclusively collective as well, um, uh, which again is unusual. Um, Most uh, classical music practice uh, uh, takes uh, in in North North America and Europe uh, takes place uh, uh, in. uh, in solitary confinement uh, people come together uh, for the most part uh, as, a, as an orchestra for a couple of rehearsals before the main um, orchestra uh, orchestra performance in in venezuela these uh, orchestra rehearsals are as i say almost exclusively collective which contributes to the um, uh, to the community uh, building uh, both within the space of music um, and uh, beyond uh, so they're Um, uh, El Sistema uh, is, uh, the headquarters are located in Caracas, uh, the capital of Venezuela, a a seven-story state-of-the-art building brings together the four uh, top orchestras uh, that rehearse and uh, perform there, um, gathering the the best musicians uh, from the program. Uh, The headquarters is also Uh, a site uh, where uh, international uh, uh, conductors and musicians, uh, uh, world-renowned, visit uh, Venezuela in order to conduct uh, these orchestras. Um, And... um, But beyond the headquarters of of El Sistema, uh, there are uh, 423 um, uh, smaller music schools scattered all over the country, Um, and I visited uh, quite a few of them, Uh, and um, most of them uh, are located uh, in in the so-called barrios, uh, which are working class neighborhoods in Venezuela uh, that are uh, lacking in public I- infrastructure uh, with uh, less access to uh, education, medical services, and also uh, are uh, affected by everyday uh, gang violence. So, as in other uh, cities in Latin America, uh, in Venezuela, there, uh, in the Venezuelan barrios, there are usually several uh, uh, gangs vying for control over drugs in, uh, territory, and territory, and, and their activity shapes the lives of all residents uh, in the community. So it is for that reason that uh, many uh, parents and young musicians are interested in participating uh, in El Sistema, uh, an institution that gives structure uh, to um, and, and systematic education to young uh, people, uh, and also provides them opportunities uh, for the future uh, that are perhaps foreclosed by the structural forces uh, that shape uh, their lives. Um, so uh, i I, uh, I decided to study not the institution itself but rather the musicians um, and specific uh, uh, musicians within the institution because I realized that it's uh, it, the institution is so enormous um, uh, that I, I could not, uh, Encompass uh, its entirety. Uh, It's and my uh, the emphasis of my work is on qualitative, in-depth ethnographic research with uh, with uh, musicians rather than uh, a qualitative. broad uh, stroke uh, research with as many people as I can interview. So I realized that I didn't want to uh, uh, to try to pass a verdict on the success or failure of this uh, musical uh, experiment uh, or to uh, try to give an account of the median uh, system of musician uh, Rather I uh, became fascinated with the stories uh, about what music meant uh, to the lives of, of the people I spoke with and I wanted to center these conversations uh, and the transformative uh, effect that music had uh, on their lives um, and in order to do so uh, I, I needed to to um, uh, uh, perhaps decenter the, uh, the institution itself. Uh, of course, that's not to say that uh, music practice is not uh, embroiled in uh, the, the dynamics, hierarchies, uh, and violence of the institution uh, itself, and I, I do talk about that in the book, uh, and one of the core arguments is that the study of music practice uh, uh, gives uh, uh, me insight into how uh, these young musicians experience uh, the power of the institution, uh, but it, it's, a, it's an intellectual uh, choice that I make uh, to focus on uh, this uh, more uh, ephemeral and fragile force of uh, music uh, practice uh, rather than on the, on the structural uh, the larger structural forces such as uh, as the institution.
1: Thank you. And so in focusing on um, what you just said, the ephemeral uh, force of the music and on the lives of the musicians themselves, you trace this central concept, which um, brings the book you know, together where you develop, theorize, and argue for this idea of enchantment. And I'm going to quote you, you write on page 27 in the introduction that, quote, enchantment with music appears as both embedded in the rhythms of everyday life and constituting a break and excess from those rhythms. And you also write that enchantment describes human lives that vibrate in music, as well as the vitality of matter that exceeds the human. So it's like enchantment um, can be found in the music itself and in the lives of the people, but it also exceeds those, um, those those things as well. And so I wondered if you could tell us about this concept of enchantment and um, how it emerged for you as a central theme. Yes. Um,
0: so enchantment uh, came about uh, as I was uh, listening to how my interlocutors spoke about music, and uh, a phrase that uh, very frequently uh, came up was me encanta uh Which in spanish means uh colloquially I, I love it uh but also more uh literally I, i'm enchanted uh, by it um so I started thinking about uh this uh, this notion of uh, 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 me encanta, and came to the idea of uh, enchantment. Um, the reason I, I like this uh, concept is that it contains uh, 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 musical uh, vibrations within itself. Uh, so in, in Spanish, um, uh, encantar contains cantar, which means to sing. Um, and in English, obviously, it contains chant. Um, so this sonorous dimension of the term was definitely uh, very attractive to me as I chose it uh, uh, for uh, as a central concept uh, of, of the book. Um, Enchantment uh, describes uh, this uh, sense of fascination uh, that musicians uh, experienced when playing uh, music, uh, the transformative effect uh, that it had uh, on their lives, um, and. Uh, While I use it uh, to talk specifically about music practice, I hope that it speaks to everyone um, reading uh, the book, uh, even if their central interest is not music. Um, Enchantment describes uh, the the fascination we experience uh, for an activity that we love uh, so much that it's changes how we experience time. Um, It uh, it affects us uh, physically, changing our heartbeat. Uh, Perhaps we experience uh, goosebumps. Uh, And um, and what is um, uh, central about how I think about enchantment is that it is usually a collective uh, activity, so uh, taking place in a group, which is uh, in in the context of uh, um, my research is is the orchestra um, usually. uh, But rather than think about it as a a bolt of lightning uh, that strikes us um, predictably, I think about enchantment as rooted in everyday practices and labor. Uh, which are oftentimes, uh, uh, you know, a drudgery, uh, a struggle, uh, pure discipline, and very uninspiring uh, at times. So music practice is a lot of times about developing skills and technique, which is uh, uh, has to do with a lot of repetition and study. Um, and only uh, rarely in times of perhaps performance uh, and specifically collective performance does it lead to um enchantment uh, uh but this everyday labor is an essential foundation for the possibility of enchantment uh, as as fascination and, and and an out-of-body almost experience uh, to arise um so um uh, enchantment is also a uh, connected, as uh, you pointed out in the uh, the, the quote uh, from uh, page 27, that it's uh, both embedded in the rhythms of everyday life and also uh, constitutes an excess uh, from those rhythms. Uh, what I mean uh, by that is that the uh, sonic energy generated uh, through collective music practices uh, has uh, the capacity to uh, separate uh, us uh, and the musicians from uh, the, the specific dynamics uh, affecting their everyday lives uh, at that particular uh, moment. Um, it is also a, a, a practice that is invested with dreams for the future, um, um, and and in that sense, uh, enchantment is related to the concept of aspiration. Uh, aspiration as as long term uh, dreams and desires for uh, for a different future that are attached to music and specifically to participation in El Sistema, an international, uh, newly renowned uh, music institution. Uh, and also aspiration as uh, if we think about it as as breathing, uh, connecting back to the labor. Underlying enchantment uh, that they, uh, they and for uh, wind instruments, uh, aspiration and breathing is literally uh, the embodied labor that goes into learning, uh, practicing, uh, and making an instrument uh, sound.
1: Hmm. that's great. It's wonderful. Um, and so you you also mentioned um, earlier you wanted to focus on the transformation in these musicians' lives, and that's why. You focus mainly on the, you know, particular musicians um, in in the book, and so um, I was thinking that when one thinks about the impact of this kind of program, um, El Sistema, one might, again, think instantly about like teaching a skill that will enable someone who's like economically impoverished to have better job prospects. So someone might think immediately of like employment, and this is providing them with a means to a better. Uh, or a, a, a profession that will you know, uh, that will, you know, pay them more money or something like that. Um, however, um, that, that may be the case, but also you foreground the transformation and how people think about themselves and their futures. And I was struck by how you mentioned that these instrument lessons offered participants a space to dream and imagine, imagine possibilities. Um, and I thought that that might not be you know, immediately considered when, when someone thinks about inequality. And so what were some of the ways in which you saw El Sistema informing or affecting your participants' lives? Uh,
0: Thank you for this uh, thoughtful question. I um uh, when I was conducting research on El Sistema, I frequently got questions from colleagues and other friends uh, that uh, you know try to quantify uh, and measure the impact of music uh, practice on uh, Venezuelan society uh, and in the lives of the musicians themselves. And actually, uh, because uh, El Sistema is also funded by international uh, grants, uh, I I could see that uh, language and attempt to quantify uh, music. Uh, practice uh, there as well so I, I got questions uh, such as uh, has El Sistema reduced uh, poverty uh, in Venezuela or has El Sistema uh, you know in some ways uh, solved uh, socioeconomic inequality uh, or ethno-racial and class discrimination um, and the answer uh, uh, potentially uh, to these questions is uh, uh, is no because uh, this, this program uh, can't be expected to have uh, made such a significant impact and it does not uh, uh, unfortunately uh, uh, address the root causes of many of these uh, social uh, problems uh, however what I found important uh, was that it gave um, uh, people and also not uh, every single participant in the program but just some people the capacity uh, or or, or the opportunity to see themselves uh, differently and to imagine their futures differently from, uh, from, the, one, from the future that was dealt to them uh, uh, by virtue of being uh, born on the urban margins in Venezuela. Um, so I, 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 I saw uh, a transformation in, in how people uh, could uh, uh, see and imagine their, themselves. For example, I, I have one interlocutor, uh, Damien, uh, who, whose father when I first uh, met the family, uh, told me that uh, uh, he imagined that his uh, son could be, um, uh, you know, the the oboist in the Berlin uh, folk harmonic. Uh, And I found this statement striking because we were on the urban margins in Venezuela, um, and and his son with, was in a youth orchestra uh, in, a, uh, in a in a in a Venezuelan uh, city, so it's quite far away from the possibility of uh, participating in the Berlin Philharmonic. Yet this dream, uh, while obviously uh, uh, a joke to a certain extent, uh, also had a quite serious uh, ring to it. And I, I started thinking about this: what did it mean that this? Um, young person's father could uh, say, state so uh, boldly that uh, his dream was for his son to be in the Berlin Philharmonic. And what was it about this program that made such dreams uh, not as improbable uh, as they might have been uh, had he not had the opportunity to participate in, in, in El Sistema, And so I, I, I realized that uh, changing how people thought about themselves and what was possible uh, was a radical uh, interruption of the violence of, of uh, structural forces uh, that in many ways uh, precluded, limited uh, the, the, the life opportunities of, of, of my interlocutors. Um, And so I wanted to do uh, uh, justice in my book to these Mm Uh, less measurable uh, uh, social transformations that were taking place and were in- enabling um, individual uh, people to uh, uh, to uh, follow lines of flight uh, away from uh, from the urban uh, margins and to pursue uh, futures uh, 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 through immigration um, in Europe. Uh, that said, uh, of course, El Sistema also provided quite literal. Um, uh, financial support uh, for the musicians, so uh, that's not anymore the case. But while I was still doing field work, uh, f- especially for the top El Sistema musicians, the institution provided enviable salaries. Um, so in a in a country that was undergoing uh, uh, turmoil and uh, inflation, uh, as, as salaries were uh, being devalued, El Sistema managed uh, to uh, provide its uh, its uh, participants, especially in the top orchestras, which admittedly uh, are exclusive spaces just for uh, some uh, uh, musicians um uh, so uh, uh, so that provided a form of stability uh that affected not only the individual uh, musician but also their family as they supported uh, uh, provided some financial support uh, for their families and uh, what i found uh, later is that as the venezuelan currency uh, became uh, devalued uh, the skill of practicing uh, a, a, a mus- or, or being able to play a musical instrument uh, was uh, 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 was something that could be uh, transferred uh, to another uh, social context such as Europe where many of the El Sistema musicians I uh, worked with ended up uh, and uh, and it was a remunerable skill uh, for them uh, there uh, so there was a practical dimension undoubtedly uh, to participation in uh, El Sistema uh, that especially the parents of uh, uh, musicians were, were focused on as they wanted a stable uh, Financial future for for their children, but um, most of my interlocutors uh, who were um, younger uh, at the time and more idealistic uh, constantly kept bringing me back to uh, the, the the flights of the Im- imagination that were enabled uh, through music and 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 how uh, how that imagination affected uh, how they could imagine uh, their uh, or how they could perceive a different future. So so that was. Um, uh, uh something that I really wanted to center uh, in my research and to and to say that even if we uh, cannot uh, measure the the uh, social uh, impact of, of these uh, processes that didn't make them any less um, uh, meaningful uh, and uh, radically transformative of, of these people's lives. And in terms of uh, the the collective effort, uh, uh, El Sistema built communities uh, between uh, in in a fragmented and polarized society, uh, where uh, communities uh, where there previously was none uh, such community, and and that would be very improbable, uh, given the fragmentation of society. So the mere fact that uh, such communities could take place, uh, even for a moment, even if they were not um, uh, stable uh, entities, or even if they did not address the root causes of inequality uh, and polarization, uh, it it enabled a different uh, vision of the future, which also has political potential uh, in, in and of itself.
1: And so I think you um, mentioned this, that El Sistema was supported by the by the state, by the socialist state in Venezuela. And throughout the book, you maintain or or you reference uh, Fernando Coronel. And I I bring him up because he was a well-known anthropologist and um, also a a researcher of, of Venezuela. And he has this idea of the magical state in Venezuela. Um, but I use that also as a, a way to ask the question of um, what conclusions that did you find about the role of the state in, in El Sistema?
0: So the concept of enchantment, in addition to doing justice to these um, uh, artistic uh, energies and, and musical sonorities that uh, are transformative of, of lives uh, and futures, uh, also... Uh, uh, explains uh, and 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 illustrates uh, how the power of the Venezuelan uh, state functions. So um, enchantment uh, uh, is uh, to to be able to enchant someone uh, means uh, to have power uh, over them uh, to, uh, to 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 exercise uh, power uh, over them. Um, and so I think about uh, how the Venezuelan state, uh, which um, uh, sponsors uh, El Sistema, uh, summoned music, the effective. Power of music to affect uh, its uh, audiences, uh, and in order to uh, advance its own political aims. So, and Sistema orchestras were frequently uh, summoned to perform at large state events, um, um, and, and and in those moments, I started uh, thinking about uh, how how much music uh, participated in supporting uh, the, the the power of the Venezuelan state and here's where uh, Fernando Coronil's uh, notion of, of magic, uh, of state magic uh, um, comes into play. Enchantment is in a way, uh, the enchantment of music is in a way a, 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 an instance of such uh, state magic so Coronil uh, talks uh, about how the oil rich Venezuelan state has enabled the leaders of the country to Emerge as magnanimous uh, sorcerers uh, that, uh, uh, with the enormous uh, oil wealth, uh, manage to summon uh, visions of the future, promises of modernity and progress uh, that uh, that are spectacular. That uh, uh, that. Um, Um, uh, that enchant uh, their audiences. Uh, What is uh, specific uh, about this form of enchantment uh, of state magic is that uh, it is uh, very convincing in moments uh, of oil boom. Uh, However, uh, once uh, oil prices drop and there is an economic crisis in the country, people suddenly realize that that their previous fascination with the state and its uh, promises uh, of uh, of progress was was actually uh, an illusion. Uh, So I started thinking about that uh, process uh, uh, as it took place uh, through enchantment. Uh, I asked uh, uh, of my own research, did enchantment be the same uh, fate as state magic in moments of uh, financial crisis uh, and disillusionment? Did people uh, think of their previous enchantments as as false, as an illusion? Um, So I began to investigate uh, this um, This question. And um, I realized that even though El Sistema was founded in 1975, a moment of oil boom, uh, it did not uh, collapse uh, together with other uh, similar state projects uh, once uh, the country uh, ran into financial crisis in the 80s and 90s. And um, this institutional resilience, perhaps we can attribute to the strategic maneuvering of, of the uh, of the institution's leader, uh, Jose Antonio Abreu. But I also think that there's something um, else uh, to this story. Um, I uh, enchantment is is not um, a simple uh, uh, fascination with uh, a passive fascination with a, a state uh, and its its magic. Uh, it, it is very much. Uh, uh, invested with uh, the the labor and um the, the dreams of musicians uh, who participate in these uh, 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 performances of, uh, of magic uh, and uh, state magic and enchantment uh, so I, I realized that people could not afford to discard uh, uh, their previous enchantments and call them false and an illusion because uh, they were very much uh, permeated by by their their dreams, by their labor uh, uh, and as I spoke to my interlocutors and quite directly asked them whether they, they found Found that um, their previous enchantment was an, an illusion. Even uh, let's say after disappointment with the institution or with the state, after political uh, collapse, they they almost uh, uh, unanimously answered that no, they did not find that their previous enchantments were. were an illusion, and in that sense, I find that there's a kind of continuity um, in in enchantment that uh, sheds light on the agentive uh, role of the musicians uh, in, in in these spectacles of uh, state magic. And in studying uh, concerts where uh, the musicians performed for the state uh, under the banners and political slogans uh, of the state, I um, I, I studied, uh, I, I interviewed uh, musicians afterwards to ask them how they experienced uh, these concerts. And I, I was wondering, did they uh, simply... Uh, think of music as completely subjected to uh, the aims of the state, and and they uh, they, they usually answered no that these uh, musical experiences were. Um, Quite varied uh, and and had more to do with the beauty of the music uh, being played or the collective energy that was being uh, generated. And this energy uh, uh, generated an excess, uh, went beyond uh, the aims and intentions of the state. And 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 that's uh, something uh, that I learned uh, from the concept of enchantment. And 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 it's something that it. it uh, allowed me to hold a uh, space for in my writing. Hmm.
2: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
1: So this question um, kind of goes, goes to the, I guess the writing of the book or, you know, the thought processes in constructing your arguments in the book, because you have this discussion of musical vitalities and in, in the, in the book, you kind of make visible the work of applying theory to different cases. And so for example, um, you have this uh, in this one chapter. You move between kind of theories of Marxism and theories of new materialism, and you articulate the stakes of using one theory over the other. And so, for example, Marxist theory—if you use Marxist theory—it might posit that the music that you're talking about in El Sistema blinds people to the problems that undergird their their everyday lives. However, if you use the new materialism theory this opens up and enables you to closely describe the role of music in, in your participants' lives. But you include that in the text, like the stakes of choosing um, or using one theory over another. And I thought that was really interesting because many times as, as writers and anthropologists, we make our theoretical decisions, we pick our um, theories in a way, and then we, we go with it. But you kind of provide this backstage thinking into the implications of using one theory over another. And so I wondered why was it important for you to, to stage this movement between one theory and another and, you know, and articulate the stakes between making these choices? Thank you for this question.
0: Um, I um, came to the, uh, uh, so the, when i was in doing my fieldwork in venezuela i would uh, speak to the musicians and ask them uh what they uh, how would, they would describe music and uh um, many times they would say uh, that speak of music and magic in the same breath uh they would tell me that music is magical it has uh, such power over uh people's lives uh, it has transformed them uh, uh, and and their ideas for the future um so i uh, they, they also spoke of music as going beyond words, uh, as, as musical experience ha- having such deep emotional impact on them uh, that uh, it was hard to translate uh, that experience into words. And I, um, as, as someone who has had similar experiences with music, uh, as a very young anthropologist uh, myself, in my first forays of fieldwork, I took these statements seriously, and I went uh, back uh, to my graduate uh, program. And in conversations with mentors, I tried to share these ideas about uh, music as magic. Uh, and I was told uh, that I, I could uh, not believe in that magic myself as a serious researcher. I could think about why uh, uh, people might come to think of music as magical. I could, uh, and I could also not. Uh, I literally believe that the music was beyond words because linguistic anthropology teaches us that as people born in linguistically uh, uh, mediated environments, there is no no such experience as beyond uh, words. Everything, even in, even those experiences, are in some ways mediated by words. Um, so, um, specifically in thinking about music as 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 magical, uh, I was. Uh, Told uh, rightly by my mentors that if we think about uh, uh, Karl Marx's uh, notion of commodity fetishism, um, uh, thinking of music as an independent agent would obscure relationships of exploitation uh, that uh, underlie uh, these um, these uh, these processes of the uh, aliveness supposed aliveness of of music. So. I, in, in in being um you know stimulated to analyze my interlocutors uh, words from a distance and and, and uh, refract them through a theoretical framework i felt uncomfortable because i uh, i realized that it was a, a kind of condescending attitude towards my interlocutors uh, words to 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 uh, for me to be uh, the one who saw more clearly the relations of exploitation in which they themselves uh, were immersed, and as I was searching for ways uh, to uh, do more justice uh, to the to their description of music as magical, I came to. Um, theories of new materialism uh, a strand in philosophy uh, that thinks about the vitality and agency of matter that exceeds uh, the human um and and i found that this uh, theory came very very close to how my uh, Interlocutors themselves theorized music and their relationship uh, to it. They many times spoke of their instruments as as their best friends, uh, as romantic partners, uh, and and and, and, mu- and music, obviously, as a physical phenomenon of vibration. Uh, that uh, involves the musician, the human uh, agent, uh, the, the instrument uh, that vibrates uh, um, when being played, uh, but also the instrument is imposing limitations uh, and unexpected um, um uh, events on the uh, the musical phenomenon. So uh, uh, a, a violin string can break, uh, the oboe reed might not sound. So sometimes uh, musical instruments were recalcitrant, a kind of agency uh, uh, of matter. Uh, but uh, the, describing my own um, uh, transition from uh, or um, my own struggles to find a theory to do justice to my interlocutors' uh, words uh, also um, uh, illuminates uh, a, a, a some, uh, a conviction that I have and have developed uh, with my, my colleague, uh, Laura McTighe, who talks about uh, theory on the ground, so theory that's uh, built from uh, conversations uh, on the ground with people, theory that's built in collaboration with our interlocutors, uh, rather than uh, a theory that is uh, subject to the refinement of, of the raw material of fieldwork in the ivory tower uh, of the academy um so i'm I'm similarly uh, uh, committed uh, to thinking about um, uh, b- fieldwork experiences as sites where theory uh, is built, where concepts are born. uh, And uh, it's always a process uh, that takes place in collaboration uh, with our interlocutors as learning from uh, their expertise and their own uh, forms of theorizing that they do on an everyday uh, basis in relation to uh, their own life
1: experiences. Thank you. So this is another question about writing the book um, as well. And you take this particular approach to writing the book. I, I was thinking about it. I was like, maybe I would call it experimental ethnographic writing. And and I say this because I, it, it reminded me of when I was in college, which was in the late 90s. Um, I remember professors talking about the crisis of representation in anthropology, and they would assign these different ethnographies that were playing with different modes of presenting material. And so these, some of these ethnographies, for example, might've been written like in the first person or, you know, they were just playing with writing and genre. And, um, and so that's, that's what made me, you know, kind of what made me think about your book because you, uh, you present the work in a very creative way, your book has 20 short chapters, and it's divided across four sections in the book. And so, you know, typically a book might have, I don't know, five or six chapters. And, um, and however, you, you know, break the material up into these shorter um, chapters, um, and across these different sections. And when you're writing the book, or in your Um, In your narrative of the book, you maintain a presence in the narrative very consistently through your interactions and with your participants, as well as your engagement with other scholars. And so I just wondered, um, what are your thoughts about ethnographic writing and how did you come to develop this form and style that you present in the book
0: uh, thank you. Um, so as I uh, started writing uh, the book, I had the privilege of uh, um, uh, doing this uh, three-year postdoc at the Society of Fellows uh, at Dartmouth College, and I had a lot of uh, time uh, on my hands, uh, even as I was uh, facing uh, the precarity of the academic job market. Uh, but I was also uh, lucky and in that I found at Dartmouth uh, several uh, mentors, uh, such as uh, Sienna Craig, uh, who who writes uh, ethnographic uh, fiction in addition to more uh, traditionally recognizable forms of ethnography. Uh, Ted Levin, an ethnomusicologist, uh, and uh, Will Will Chang, who's also the series editor of my book, um, and and through uh, in, engagement with these uh, scholars who gave me um, the the. The, the encouragement uh, but also the the power to believe and in, in 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 the process of looking for my own ethnographic voice I began searching for uh, for the uh, the genre or or the structure that would uh, make uh, the most sense uh, given the ethnographic material that I had um, so I participated in uh, several ethnographic writing workshops um, uh, where uh, I, uh, Anthropologists such as uh, Katie, Stu- Katie Stewart and Paul Stoller um, uh, encouraged uh, us, uh, all of the participants, to experiment uh, with writing style, to write uh, shorter uh, uh the 500 word segments uh, of uh, ethnographic uh, writing uh, to use multi-sensory uh, ethnography uh, to focus on uh, evoking the feel of a place uh, of people um, and so I, I, I uh, took a lot of pleasure in that uh, type of writing, it gave me so much more freedom than, uh, than when I was trying to write uh, an academic article uh, for a flagship journal for example um, and I tried to hold on to that uh, feeling uh, of, of free writing that I um, that I enjoyed in these uh, ethnographic writing workshops. Um, and so I started uh, writing uh, from... Uh, from a memory from a feeling and and i started developing these stories that i uh, understood are important uh, f- to include in the book uh, but every time i tried to uh, uh, discipline these stories into the five uh, chapters of a standard academic uh, uh, book they start they, they exercised a the kind of resistance uh, they they could never quite fit uh, and and if i tried to make them fit i felt like i was taking away some of their uh, vitality uh, I was uh, um, uh, clipping away uh, some of their uh, shape uh, and, and, and breath um, and and so I um, I just uh, wrote uh, f- uh, shorter segments uh, that became these 20 chapters uh, that ultimately came um, Uh, formed the book. Um, I remember reading that uh, Julio Cortázar, um, the Argentine novelist, in writing his book uh, Rayuela, which similarly has dozens of uh, chapters, shorter chapters, uh, he printed out uh, all of um, or or rather (laughs) had all of his chapters um, uh, on the on the floor of his apartment and he was walking around trying to figure out how to order them. And in his book, uh, you you know, you can read the chapters and two different ways, either uh, in the order in which they appear or a a different order that the author provides. Um, So I I followed that uh, example, and I printed out my 20 draft the draft chapters, uh, put them on the floor and then walked around trying to figure out uh, in what order I wanted them uh, to appear. So um, the chapters don't necessarily uh, uh, follow from one another. Many times uh, they do, but sometimes they're more free floating Um Units uh, that connect to the major uh, sections that uh, they appear under, uh, but I I, I I try to do less uh, signposting and more uh, delicate, uh, you know, threads to to weave these uh, chapters uh, together. Um, so. Um, in terms of my own uh, position, I've I've tried to make it uh, very transparent, and I'm inspired by the writing culture movement uh, that you uh, reference, uh, Reagan. Uh, and um, I uh, well, in, in the history of anthropology, it has always been important to uh, demonstrate uh, the the distance or proximity that uh, an anthropologist uh, has to their. Um, their research site, so I I, I, I needed to make uh, that uh, clear. Um, and also uh, every, everything that I uh, experienced everything uh, that became part of my research was refracted uh, through my own being through my own history uh, as a child of uh, the, uh, the revolutions in Bulgaria uh, and and so I, I needed that story to be also a part of the a part of the book as well uh, because it became an important part uh, uh, factor in how people saw me and how I interacted uh, with my interlocutors and the friendships uh, I, I, I built. Uh, so it is a very uh, personal uh, account uh, with which I aim to um, to be a- as transparent as, as possible about my, uh, my process uh, and my writing.
1: Yeah, that's great. I think that um, the book was really a wonderful read. I really enjoyed reading it. And I think that, you know, people who are listening will also enjoy reading it for those very reasons that you mentioned, the structure and the the transparency that you provide, and also the, you know, the stories, of course, from the people, from your interlocutors in the book um, made it really, it was really, uh, it, was, it was really interesting to read and to follow, to follow through the storylines. Thank you. And so I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the ethnographic fieldwork process that you undertook for the book. It seems like, and you've already, you talked about this a little bit, your own musical background helped to f- facilitate your knowledge of music, of the music that the students were learning. And I think you even taught some lessons um, in El Sistema, but also a running theme throughout the book is the violence of the city. And you mentioned the, the disintegration of the state. And so what were the challenges and highlights of carrying out the, this fieldwork in Venezuela? Uh,
0: thank you for this question. Um, it brings me back to my first uh, you know, trips uh, to Venezuela. I was a uh, I was, I guess, in many ways terrified uh, at the time because uh, the moment I informed my uh, friends and relatives that I was going to Venezuela, everybody told me that I'm crazy uh, because it has the reputation for being a very uh, violent uh, country: kidnappings, um, uh, homicides, etc., uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Um, and uh, so uh, every trip to Venezuela was a sort of uh, exercise in willpower, uh, perhaps uh, willpower uh, very much aided by that uh, uh, feeling that I uh, referred to in, in the beginning of our conversation—that unstoppable, uh, um, a conviction that I uh, that is rare for me and that I that moved me to do my research um, in Venezuela. Um, so. Um, I uh, I very much was supported at every single stage of this research uh, by the care and protection of, of people I met on the ground by my interlocutors who taught me how to uh, uh, you know uh, become a savvy uh, pedestrian in a in a crime ridden uh, city um, uh, who offered me protection by frequently walking me uh, to 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 my subway uh, and checking in. Uh, later by text uh, whether I I got home. So I, um, uh, on the one hand, uh, you know, uh, feared the violence uh, in the city and uh, I was robbed a a few times, uh, but also precisely because uh, of of the precariousness um, of of the Venezuelan context at the time of my fieldwork, I also enjoyed incredible generosity and care from uh, from my interlocutors, uh, and this has been an important um, part of my fieldwork, and perhaps what uh, leads to the consolidation of friendships uh, with my interlocutors that are uh, alive to this very day and are as significant as any other ones I have made. Um, In my life, Um, as you as you mentioned, um, my ability to to play music together with my interlocutors was also really important, uh, precisely for the reason that I I, uh, discussed uh, uh, earlier that um, musicians would say that uh, uh, we couldn't only talk about music, I had to play it together with them in order to understand what they're talking about. So my ability to play, even as uh, I wasn't uh, quite as uh, good as they were, uh, uh, it enabled that shared uh, experience of, uh, of temporality uh, that uh, takes place in the moment of uh, playing music together, that collaboration uh, between the accompaniment I provided and, and their uh, solo uh, performances. Um, and uh, in the in the in the case of teaching uh, music, it was uh, my opportunity to uh, give back to the community um, uh, some of uh, uh, of the uh, of the generosity I had uh, received uh, from them. So um, uh, and in terms of the uh, violence, I guess I keep coming back to that question um recently uh, and uh, when i was younger and doing my research there i was uh, constantly afraid and thought uh, that i um you know am in a very vulnerable position which perhaps uh, i was but in reality everyday violence affects the most uh young young men uh, of color on the urban margins um who are uh the victims and perpetrators of of, uh, of, of this uh violence and it affects less uh you know uh, privileged researchers uh, such as myself so um i i have uh, put less of an emphasis more recently uh, in thinking about my own uh, vulnerability uh, and of course uh, uh, emphasizing uh, the fact that i always uh, had a way um to leave the country in 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 the moment, if if uh, such political turmoil occurred that it wouldn't be unsafe for me to be there anymore um and that i um and enjoyed the protection of my uh, of, of of my uh, status, uh, and and also I I never uh, lived in the barrios uh, themselves. I I decided that this was too much of a. Um, of a risk for me uh, at the time, even though I spent lots of time uh, there and I spent uh, 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 weekends sometimes with, uh, with my interlocutors' families, uh, I, uh, for the most part, uh, lived um, in a in middle-class uh, neighborhood uh, of Caracas, which uh, provided relative uh, stability for me uh, in this context as I was doing research uh, on my own.
1: So this is the um, last question, I guess, about the book. And it really takes us to the end of the book, where many of your interlocutors um, end up in Europe after the Venezuelan state and society um, experience quite a bit of turmoil and disintegration. And so I just wondered, has El Sistema managed to continue in the face um, of these current troubles facing Venezuela? And I also wondered, um, in light of this, you know, this current situation, does that increase the stakes of writing about this kind of program when you did, I thought, I thought in a way your ethnography captures, you know, the spirit of this, uh, of this program, you know, at this particular time. And that's not to say that the spirit doesn't continue, but I thought in light of what's going on, it might increase the, the, the stakes of writing about these kinds of interventions.
0: Um, thank you. Uh, yes, it's been very um, uh, hard to uh, witness uh, f- from a distance uh, the collapse of uh, Venezuela currently taking uh, place. So uh, um, there is a humanitarian crisis uh, very much uh, exacerbated uh, by the COVID pandemic. Um, and. Um, in a moment when uh, people are struggling to find uh, uh, food and 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 basic uh, uh, care, uh, it's it's hard to imagine uh, the functioning of a, a classical music uh, program. El Sistema still exists. I haven't been in Venezuela for a long time, but uh, uh, my the the interlocutors who are still there. Uh, Tell me about uh, events uh, taking place. Uh, while uh, once El Sistema provided enviable salaries, uh, nowadays uh, it, um, it it uh, pro- provides uh, salaries that are not enough uh, for uh, for covering uh, people's basic needs, um, and uh, it ha- has been very much uh, subsumed under the state. If if uh, previously it enjoyed some kind of uh, institutional uh, distance from the States, that uh, distance has almost completely uh, been eliminated. And most of the interlocutors I worked with have immigrated uh, to uh, to Europe, uh, which is unusual uh, for the migration patterns out of Venezuela that usually take people to uh, uh, other Latin American countries. Uh, um, uh, Uh, In the case of El Sistema Musicians, uh, many of them end up uh, in in, uh, Europe and specifically Paris. Um, So um, the the stakes of writing about these uh, life projects that uh, uh, flourish uh, in the midst of uh, crisis um, are perhaps contained in the uh, question, what is lost in the telling of a story of a collapsing political system? So, if I chose to speak exclusively of the collapse of El Sistema as an institution, or its um, it, it, its its uh, basically decline, uh, or if I chose to write exclusively about the failure of the socialist political project in Venezuela and its um, uh, resulting uh, humanitarian crisis, I, I would miss uh, the stories. Um, of my interlocutors, that are uh, stories of lives just beginning, uh, futures uh, unfolding, and and for me, it's uh, important to hold on to these uh, these stories and make uh, space for them uh, in my writing. Um, and and the conclusion of the uh, book is dedicated to uh, tracing uh, the, the life paths of my interlocutors uh, as as they are separated from their parents uh, who remain um, in Venezuela, uh, who send remittances uh, back uh, back home and support um, uh, their parents. Um, and um, I think in terms of uh, the stakes, I. I, I I obviously recognize that there is a point in which uh, talking about uh, music practice is impossible uh, when uh, life itself uh, is threatened and on the line, uh, as is the case right now. But as my... One of my interlocutors who remains in Venezuela is, and is, as far as I know, uh, the only uh, woman to found a, and uh, be the director of a music school. Uh, reports to me it's important for her to be able to uh, engage in music uh, practice uh, to the extent possible and to share that with. Um, Uh, students who are still interested. And she she talks about how it's impossible to ask people anymore for financial support, uh, to buy cement for the music school, when people don't have enough to eat uh, but nevertheless uh, she she continues to provide uh, music lessons uh, and in addition to that uh, meals for for students who might uh, uh, be hungry uh, and so she's a she's an illustration of uh, for me of the importance uh, of beauty, of artistic uh, practice, uh, even for people who struggle uh, to survive um, uh, and are faced with such uh, brutal uh, violence uh, and and political uh, collapse.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for that. So we tend to end the interviews with the question, um, about what you have on the horizon. And so now that Sonorous Worlds is, is out into the world, do you have any projects that you're working on now, or are you planning on, um, uh, do you have any projects that you're planning on for the future?
0: Uh, yes, thanks for this question. Um, my my second book project um, is called "The Politics of Joy: Collective Art Practices Across American Borders." Um, and in this project, I'm interested in exploring how first and second generation Latinx women, uh, uh, queer people and uh, queer and trans people uh, and envision political activism as practices of joy, pleasure, self-care, healing, um, and female solidarity that's frequently expressed uh, through art. Um, I'm focusing on grassroots artists, uh, such as musicians, uh, specifically the genre of son jarocho that originates in Mexico but is also performed in um, uh, the U S um, a- and uh, beyond. Um, I focus on poets, uh, nail artists, uh, most of them based in LA, uh, but also, um, uh, across a borders, so it's a multi-sided uh, project uh, with some research that will take place in Veracruz, Mexico, um, in LA and uh, in, in, uh, perhaps in uh, Toronto um, so I'm interested in how people summon art uh, to voice their rights to exist uh, and even flourish um, in oppressive contexts and uh, this field work has been uh, interrupted uh, by the pandemic I've had to focus almost exclusively on uh, social media uh, research through instagram and twitter but i'm hoping uh, hoping to uh, recommence it uh, uh, this summer
1: well that is fascinating and um wishing you the best on your you know continuing that kind that research um So thank you so much. I've been speaking with Dr. Yana Steinova, the author of Sonorous Worlds, Musical Enchantment in Venezuela, published by the University of Michigan Press. Thank you so much for writing this book and for sharing it with us here on the podcast.
0: Thank you so much for the invitation and the thoughtful questions, Reagan.